November 10th, 2003. It's Swat from Pedro Show. Thank <laughs> you. 
From Bedro Show, November 10th, 2003 edition. Back from yet another tour. Another one done. Maybe we should turn this off. Why? Like a little reverb. Yeah, a little verb. <laughs> Sorry about that. 
special show. We got a special guest, Mr. David Reese from Brooklyn. Howdy. New York. On a tour for his latest book that coincides with the game. For those out there who might be unawares, uh, David's the author, creator, instigator, imaginer, uh, drawer of Get Your War On. And um, when was the last one? In October? The last installment? Yeah. First, I have to remember what I, what it was about, and then I'll remember the date. It was about the smoking gun. That's uh, right. Which Condoleezza Rice said would come in the form of a mushroom cloud in regards to Iraq's development of weapons of mass destruction. And uh, they're having a hard time finding the smoking gun. So that must have been October, late October, I think it was. And because you've been at work now with this... Um my uh, my new fighting technique is unstoppable. That's right. My new fighting technique is unstoppable. I wrote a few review for it coming up in everybody's mailbox because I know everyone subscribes to <laughs> GQ, especially the women. And so read that, see which words of Watts survive. <laughs> <laughs> there's a process when you do those kinds of things it's not like putting out your own zine or having a website there's a gatekeeper and they exact a heavy toll <laughs> in the name of a redaction and syntax and uh, being concise to the point canonization a new process for me, but I was very proud to do it, David. It's Thank you. Great, I appreciate that. Uh, it's a trip. They even edited out the quote I used, but then the revision of the revision of the revision, it appeared again. It came back around? It came back around. That's good. So, uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> you don't even recognize your own words after a while. Yeah. Well, I sent David the copy that the editor sent me the first time he came back. He says, he wrote me, he goes, this is great. Maybe we'll tweak it a little bit. And so I get this email a couple of days later, and I think two or three of my words survived out of 100, <laughs> 120 words. There's some punctuation marks kept in, too. Oh, yeah. That's right. We have some common ground. But, uh, I mean, it was very much an honor to be asked to uh, talk you up, write you up. Thank and, you. I uh, want everybody to know, and it's really an honor to have you on the show. Well, it's an honor to be here. This is my first time in San Pedro after hearing a lot about it growing up, listening to Minutemen Records. So it's nice to finally make the pilgrimage out here. Yeah, welcome to Pedro. Thank you. Happy to be here. Speaking of Minutemen, uh, there's a connection with get your war on there is yep when I started I started it because I wanted to make the kind of cartoon or the kind of comic strip that I thought 
uh, D. Boone would have made in similar circumstances. Because the band was a big inspiration for me and my friends growing up. And so in the fall of 2001, when we started bombing Afghanistan, and I was frustrated because I couldn't find the kind of comic that I wanted to read about the situation, I just tried to make something simple and concise with a lot of energy, kind of like those uh, early Minutemen songs sounded to my friends and me. So when people ask me what my influences were for the comic strip, I usually always try to mention uh, D. Boone and the Minutemen and that way of just doing things for yourself and keeping it really simple and but trying to pack a lot of pack a lot of uh, energy into a really concise framework. So I think that's what the connection is. Yeah, which is kind of the connection I came around to because I read that in an interview and I went to the website and I emailed you. That's right. Yeah about that and I thought that was very nice I love it when people remember d Boom. yeah definitely speaking of which I just did a gig a couple days ago you know what though brother Matt I should uh, tell the folks what songs I played we started out with Mr. John Coltrane with Mr. Eric Dolphy Mr. Jimmy Garrison Mr. McCoy Tyner Mr. Elvin Jones doing a live thing I wonder why it faded out at the end there because they did it did go out. They ended it. That was bizarre. Getting back to those. But that was Mr. PC, a song John Coltrane <laughs> wrote for Mr. Paul Chambers, an incredible bass player. And uh, in fact, I got an interview. I got a play. I found a 46 minute interview in 1958. Well, that's John right. Coltrane. You're talking about that. You got to make you a CD of that. And after that, we played The Fall with Flat of Angles from uh, their Dragnet record. But anyway, a couple days ago, there was the All Tomorrow Party here in Long Beach, in fact. Six miles, five yeah, miles from right Pedro. in the neighborhood. Yeah, I could have paddled over. <laughs> uh, and uh, Saturday night, I played both nights, but Saturday night was with George Hurley, and we did old Minutemen songs. About 28, 29 songs in a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, we jammed out, little man. Maybe it was more than five minutes. It was great. It was a trip because I had to have it a duet. I thought it wouldn't be right to have somebody uh, fill in the hole of that band. And that's why I called it George Hurley and Mike Watt as a duet. I didn't call it the Minutemen, but we did do Minutemen songs. And uh, the kids were singing the guitar parts. Yeah, that was sweet, man. Oh, really? And Dee Boone's parts. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It was a trip. That was really a trip. And most of these folks weren't our age. <laughs> they were much younger. Mm. Yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah, it was a trip. And I mean, on a more merch level, the Rolling Stone people put them on that list of guitars. Because he's left this uh, venue 18 mm. years ago. So, so I'm very happy that folks remember him because I think of him every day. And I have to say it was a hard gig emotionally to play without him and those songs that we played so many times. I could remember why we wrote every one of them while I was doing it. Also, uh, 
I can't play with a pick anymore. It was very difficult. Uh, held my fingers together, and I had to do the singing because he was in here, and some of that stuff is impossible to sing over. <laughs> you know, which he would just stop playing when it was time to sing. You know, and here I had to do the bass lines, and they're all on the offbeats. Uh, but Georgie was great. I wish I, we could have practiced for a month before it, but I was on tour. I just got back from a tour, number fifty-one done, and uh, but that was a great thing to come home to. Oh yeah, I went to New York City in between recorded some stuff with Stooges and then last night I played with the Stooges probably one of the better ones I've done with them even though the tuner didn't work I had to do it a Minuteman style D Boone you understand with the Minuteman we uh, decided everything anew since we were being redefined by the punk movement and we decided tuners were bourgeois so <laughs> I was put to the test and had to use my ear again once again but uh, man, did it, it sound bad out of tune? It was great, man. It rocked. It rocked. I shook myself silly. I had visions in my head. With the Minutemen, I was too scared to shake. I was scary. Like the first Stooges gigs I did. Was that the first time you ever played Minutemen songs with George We Hurley did a a 10 minutes once for a benefit a few Is years ago. For, yeah, at El Ray for uh, Flipside Magazine. And, uh, but it was more recent songs. Some of these really old songs were tough. Joe McCarthy's Ghost, I mean. But I thought it was important that, I, uh, that me and Georgie try these songs because, uh, since it was going to be young people, that was my guess. Yeah. It turned out to be right. I thought we should play songs we did when we were young. I mean, we were young at the end, too, but we were even younger with those songs. So, um, it was a trippy thing. Then after the gig, and then especially a lot yesterday, a lot of folks came up to me who saw it and liked it, and they uh, said they thought of him while we were playing. Yeah, totally. And everybody was glad to see George Hurley playing drums again. Yeah, you guys... So I asked Georgie to do some... You know, I got to practice with him three days before we did this. Right before... I got home from New York City and uh, spent a lot of time with him. I hadn't spent that much time with him in Man, 10, 11 huh? years. That was great. I mean, I played with George Hurley 14 years, many, many tours. Great. Probably besides Kira, right? I've had those 18 years. So, besides Kira, he's longest in compadre mm-hmm. with the musicos. And just as a guy, a person. And I think uh, he dug it too. I think he could tell I was a little more together than back then. <laughs> I asked him to do some more when I get some time. Great. I want to write him some songs and we'll record. Yeah. Maybe for any uh, kid bands or people who need the rhythm section. I told because Georgie's got a son now and family, you know, and it, he can't really be doing whooping tours anymore. Mm. He ain't Mr. Peter Pan like me. <laughs> uh, he said do weak ones. Or like go in the studio, maybe. Mm. He'll find a way to make it work. <laughs> yeah. 
because he is quite a drummer. Yeah, he sure is. Quite a righteous guy, man. Very intelligent and interesting man. Uh, his hair got white, huh? Yeah, that's a trip. He didn't have that big old, big old hanging. Piece well, he had anymore. the unit, but it was bound. <laughs> <laughs> the unit was bound. Yeah, it was oiled and bound. Is that what? Is that the official name for it? Yeah, we call it the unit. When my friends and I were growing up, and we used to look at pictures of the Minutemen, we always wondered what was up with that hair, and we'd just never seen anything like it in North Carolina. <laughs> Not much the, of a hydro either. The guy with the, the mullet in front of his head instead of behind it. That was real wild to see that. Front mount. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you got a band. Yeah. Skeleton Killers. We played them here in the Watt from Pedro show. That's right, yeah. It's our Most of our music is a little, a little slower than those early Minutemen songs. But it's a lot of love ballads. And um, a lot of stuff in six eight time. Yep. Instead of four four. Six eight the jazz waltz. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. The two other guys in the band studied music composition, and they were big fans of jazz. So maybe that's how that that came about. Arg. Yeah. <laughs> I see," said the blind man. Exactly. To the deaf girl, and picked up a hammer and saw. <laughs> yeah, we played the, the stuff here. I got it off the internet. Yeah, we had some stuff on our website. We have some MP3s on our website. Skeleton Killers. Yeah, the skeletonkillers.com. Yeah, the skeletonkillers.com. So is that Go the there. only spot to check check get your war on or other places carry it? Well, or? that's it, the skeletonkillers.com is a separate website just for the band, but my main website for all the comics is www.mnftiu.cc The world's worst web address. Yeah, where did you come up with that acronym? <laughs> because my new fighting technique is unstoppable. And right. my new filing technique is unstoppable, which is the follow-up, which is going to come out next year. And then the pe- people always ask me why it's .cc instead of .com. And it's just because when I went to go register the name for the website, there was an ad that said... Forget about .com and, and .net. The hot new extension everyone's going to want is .cc. That's the future of the internet, .cc. And I thought it looked so tough that I I registered it as .cc. And then I realized that I had a website no one could remember. Well, m- mine is TWFPS. <laughs> oh, that's right. .com. Acronym show, web addresses. Yeah. That's the way to go. And then, for, of course, the Hoot page. Right. Because I had a Hoot line where I let people know about gigs. And that's kind of how it started. Oh, I see. And now it's full of diary and right. all kinds of yeah, things, wattage. Because some prick owns my guat.com wants to sell it for 5000 bucks. <laughs> really? What a dick. You have a cyber squatter? Yeah. Oh. What a dick. Yeah. Wow. Mr. Back of the hand, meet Mr. Back of the head. Man, That's what I'd like to say. Mr. Forehead, here's what Mr. Knee. cheesy sucker. Wow. So, uh, and the mean, you know, hoot page. <laughs> but it's a great way, internet, 
these kind of things. It's yeah, not all definitely. about e-commerce and stuff. There's a lot of ways it has a lot of old punk rock ethic. We can mm. network around all the mainstream. Yeah, and there's... Find the, each other. You don't create have to a parallel universe. Wheels within wheels. You know, I don't want to use that A word because that got co-opted by marketing bum rush, so... It's not really an alternative. It's alternative sounds like uh, when I hear that, it sounds like the other choice, and it's not the other choice. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of choices. Yeah, so that's how they get us. We all got to read our Wittgenstein because he had it right. It's all word games, language mm-hmm. games. Yeah, and all our ideas enslaved and chained to words, and whoever owns. Did you hear about Miriam Webster? With the McJob? Yeah. Yeah. They came up with this new definition, their dictionary, McJobs, and McDonald's is very angry over this. Oh, really? Yeah. Because they're not in charge. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, it, they consider it demeaning that you would call a <laughs> job with no benefits and econo and <laughs> lame gonna... ass a McJob. Maybe they can pay $5,000 to enter their own definition as the second definition in the dictionary. Yeah, or say, uh, to prove that de- definition wrong, they could start paying their workers all kinds yeah. of dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. Start wrong. slathering on the benefits. And then in 10 years... And then they could a... say, you guys are wrong. Right. We're really... Uh, McJob means you're happening. Right, right. And rolling in it. And... Get much respect for your little outfit. Yeah, and hat. <laughs> As you trade in your hours for a handful of dimes. The hospital, well, that was dollar twenty an hour. Me and D Boom worked at the Jack in the Box, that was dollar sixty five an hour. That was some loud outfits. <laughs> it was yeah, orange and yellow and the buttons were about three inches place. in diameter you know? <laughs> that's what I really liked was the buttons <laughs> but it afforded us time to do Minutemen so in a way it was okay so for a period of time you had like three or four different jobs that were scheduled 24 hours a day and just that's how I got pneumonia <laughs> I took David to chow at Busy Bee and we looked at the sun on the cliffs and I was telling them about uh, talking to these kids Saturday night after the gig and they want to know about what am I writing now since I was a minute man and I wrote <coughs> political songs then and what kind of songs do I write now and I told them about my sickness you know the new album and like you know what's that about you know writing about your body and uh, working all those jobs, going to school and doing the band, I got sick and pneumonia and almost died at 22. And I recovered, and a week later I'm back in my cycle. I never wrote a song about it. But you get to your 40s, <laughs> it has a little more impact on you. Hmm. And uh, politically, it's a weird place to be in the middle of your life. That's where Dante Rose comedy. That's probably why uh, I used him to help parallel 
my little tail. Different thing. Now the issues of the world, your town, people you know, they're still there. There's an interesting thing. This tour I did was with uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Flaming Lips. And Flaming Lips are led by a man named Mr. Wayne Coyne, a very interesting, intelligent man. And he told me, what well, when you're young, I believe that you define yourself by looking out. You reflect on others. And that's how you see, get a perspective on yourself. And as you get older, it kind of comes in from inside. And this kind of explains why when you're young, it's easier to have roommates. You're always going to parties. Because mm. I was telling them, about, you know, I spend a lot of time alone. I don't really go out and do things with other folks as much. Mm. And he said, don't worry, what? It's kind of natural. He's a very wise man, Mr. Wayne Coyne. The first time we played Oklahoma City, we stayed at his bed. And he worked at Long John Silver for 11 years. Wow. They're owned by Purina, too, Jack in the Box. Yeah. And uh, he had a name tag that said Luigi. So everybody called him Luigi. So we thought his name was Luigi first couple <laughs> years we know. <laughs> this is Wayne guy. <laughs> but he was a great guy. Every day of the tour, he'd have a good spiel. Incredible man. A lot of people get jaded in that racket. You know, they're chubbies. And but there are cats who are fired up and play it like it's their first gig each time. And uh, I'm really honored to know some of those guys because they inspire me. We were talking about uh, David was asking me what happened to the SST guys. Do you see a lot of these guys from those days? And I don't see as many. So it's a neat thing. The Chili Peppers, too, were really neat. Interesting folks. John Frusciante, uh, deep musical knowledge. Flea played maybe half our set on trumpet. And we'd bring everybody on for Sister Ray and the Blue Eyes to Cult song. Yeah, we were in these arenas and stuff, but in a way it was like, uh, you know... <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It, usually, oh, you get one of these tours, you got to step up to this world. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that at all. The way it was, uh, I mean, we're talking about stages bigger than a lot of the clubs I'm playing, you know. <laughs> so we made the stage like the club. I didn't want the Flame and Lips to have to move their stuff, so uh, we set up in a little tiny corner, you know. It was enough room for a second, man. And for Pete and Jarrett, it was wild. They had never played I bads bet. like that. Yeah, it was a blast. Dads come to the gigs in LA, and yeah. Not too good for bass sound in a pad like that. So, a lot of square johns in the crowd, but who knows? I still have cats coming up to me saying, you know, the first time I saw you, uh, you were opening for R.E.M. Uh-oh. So maybe down the line, you know, the first time I saw hey, you was opening for Red Hot Chili Peppers. And um, it was an interesting tour in that way. I also got to play some towns I never played. Oh, cool. Even with 51 tours, 23 years, I had never played Calgary or Edmond. Prairie, which was uh, amazing. It's nice up there, you know, kind of like our plains. Uh-huh. Kind of flat, but very pretty. And people are very nice. Um, to get from Calgary, get to Calgary, rather, 
I came from uh, Vancouver, so I crossed uh, Canadian Cascades, Kel- uh, Selkirks, and Canadian Rockies, which was a wild, wild wow. ride. A uh, lot of avalanche warning. I mean, that's, you wouldn't want to go through these pads oh, wow. in the wintertime. How long a drive was that? It was probably 12 hours. The Whooper, though, was the one home from Calgary to Pedro. That was uh, 30 hours, 1,600 miles. And snowstorm behind us. We're going out of Alberta and Montana and Idaho. Then we get into Utah, and it's all ash. You were here for the fires, Brother Matt. Yeah, it was nuts. The sky was, like, all orange, shining through, like, apocalyptic. You know, the cars are covered with ash. We were, like, 100 miles away from the fires, pretty much, and... Yeah, one day here, my my eyes were just burning for that weekend. Uh, inside here in the pad, smelled like total brush fires every place. You go out to the really? car, and the cars are just like they've been snowed on with ash. Oh, wow. So I guess the winds changed direction and blew them out. Because when I was up in Calgary, in Edmonton, we had this thing called a Chinook, uh, which is like a warm wind, yeah, and they're Anna's fed by the Santa Anas. So there is a Pedro... Prairie, yeah, we're Canadian all connected. Prairie connected, yeah. It's like they say. So don't <coughs> think yourself so alone. <laughs> all hooked up. Um, so you said some of those avalanches get set off just by a, a car motor oh, sitting yeah, there, huh? Yeah, really scary. I mean, they got signs, do not stop, do not stop. And then they got sheds. Wow. That's heavy. Huh. But I was there before the snow came, right before. And so it was safe. But... Uh, very beautiful. And then you go across these lakes. Oh, it's so intense. And I, I'm doing a benefit. I'm going to play with the Chili Peppers this weekend for a cancer uh, benefit. And uh, also Flea School. Flea's got oh, yeah, a school, yeah. a music school in uh, Silver Lake for kids. Yeah, it's cool. To come, you know, let their freak flag fly. Learn the rules yeah. so you can break them. Yeah. Did you learn to draw through school? No. I learned to draw... I don't remember how I learned. Just doing it a lot, I guess. Wasting a lot of paper. <laughs> but, so. yeah. Well, most people don't go to school to ride bike. Right. Right? You <laughs> fall down, and after a while, not so much. Yeah, yeah. And, uh... Yeah, some people go on to, uh... Ride with no hands, upside down, unicycles. Mm-hmm. But isn't it really more important where you take the bike? Right. Yeah. So I wish people would understand they can have a little confidence if they want to pursue some arts that way. Or decorate your bike. Yeah. Put a card in the spokes. <laughs> Watt from Pedro Show.
Watt from Pedro Show. That was Thick with Texas Kung Fu Master. Before that, we had Steve McKay, tenor sax player for the Stooges, with his new solo record. First track, uh, The Moment, A Sink in Part 1. And we started off with Ramones. Now I want to sniff some glue. David? Yes? Tell us about your new book. Okay. This book is called My New Fighting Technique is Unstoppable. And what it is is a 60-page comic made using public domain clip art, which means I didn't actually draw any of the pictures. I just used other pictures that were available to make a comic about a bunch of people who are fighting and yelling about who has the best karate fighting technique. And it's kind of a book about anxiety and insecurity. And I actually made it years and years ago when I was working a very slow temp job and I had nothing to do. I just sat around all day listening to freestyle MC battles off the internet, reading a lot about rap music, and then making cartoons using computer clip art because I couldn't really take out a pen and a piece of paper and start drawing my own cartoons, so I just started doing them on the computer because as long as my boss heard the sound of the keyboard clicking and clacking, they assumed I was getting the work done, which I did. I always made sure to do my work and earn my money, but in my free time at work, I would make these comics. So this is a book that for the past four years, I've self-published and photocopied and stapled together and sold out of my living room. And now it's finally being put out by a real honest-to-God publisher uh, in New York. So I'm on a tour right now, traveling around the West Coast, uh, giving readings and talking a little bit about how I came to make this uh, insane karate comic. Cool. Yeah. It's funny because I kind of just made it for myself originally, just as a goof to keep myself occupied, and then I gave a couple copies to my friends for Christmas. And I always thought they would think it was funny because they would think it was funny to imagine me at my temp job making this stupid comic. But then it was it was kind of this thing that turned out to have a somewhat broader appeal. And that was a great feeling just to make something for myself and then find out that other people enjoyed it. I didn't really plan on that happening. It was kind of like Get Your War On in that way, you know. I made it for myself and then other people got something out of it, so... It's nice. It means that now I'm a professional cartoonist, which is not something I ever really planned on being. It just kind of fell into it, and uh, I feel pretty lucky to to have that be my job because it means I don't have to go to work for other people anymore. I don't know. It's nice, but it was never planned. It just worked out that way. <laughs> Do you have uh, expectations of what people should get out of it? No, I know that some people think it is very funny and some people, like my parents, just do not understand it at all. It has a lot of profanity in it, has a lot of cursing in it, like a, a deliberately absurd amount of profanity to kind of create this sense of hysteria or something, absurdity. And it is the... My New Fighting Technique is Unstoppable is kind of like a very crazy book. There's a lot of weird things in it, like there's a one fighter who is just a human circulatory system, 
who battles people, even though they can see all his organs inside his body and stuff. So it doesn't really have like a real logic to it, but I think when you read it, there's a cumulative effect where you get this sense of like hysteria and anxiety and people being really boastful because fundamentally they're kind of insecure in a way. Nobody knows who can who can kick their ass and whose ass they can kick. No one's really sure where they fit in the hierarchy. So there's like a lot of profanity and bluster. Um, but people will just get out of it whatever they get out of it. I know that some people hate it. And there's nothing I can really do about that, you know? It is what it is, you know? So I got something out of it. You, I thought it was really funny, so that was great. What do you think uh, art is for? Oh, God. I guess it depends on who's making the art. I think it... Uh, I don't think in a general sense it's for anything. I mean, it depends on what you're trying to do when you're making something, you know what I mean? It can serve all different types of purposes, or it can serve no purpose at all. It can just be, you know... Well, obviously, you know, I'm asking this in hopes you make a personal statement. I know you can't speak for all of us, but for you... for Oh, for me? For my art? I think it... The way I work is I... It's kind of like I come up with a new project when I have an itch that I can't scratch using anything that I'm already doing. So, for instance, like with Get Your War On, I was so frustrated that nobody had any skepticism about an everlasting war on terrorism and a bombing campaign in Afghanistan. I figured the best way and the most efficient way for me to express myself was just to make a really simple cartoon about it. Whereas when I play music, I don't really, my music is not political at all. It just is satisfying other different feelings or ideas that I have. And so I usually. The art is all comes second for me. The first thing is, I guess, maybe just like identifying something that I need to express, like a set of feelings or a certain idea, and then just figuring out what's the most efficient way to express it. So sometimes that's a comic, sometimes it's writing a song, sometimes it's painting, sometimes it's like prose writing or something. It can be all different kinds of stuff. Just to make sure that I don't just to make sure that I can constantly be getting stuff out of my system so that uh, that I'm not getting all blocked up and backed up. Um, and to make sure that I always have different options available, whether it's my computer with the clip art or a guitar or painting, I guess. Just to make sure that if I get an idea or something that I want to express, that I have something around that I can use to get it out into the world and get it out of my head, I guess. Okay, like a bigger idea of art, like art that doesn't come from you do you think it's uh, their personal you think people have things behind their yeah, endeavors and would you consider that kind of a, a bogart or something are they overreaching should they keep it personal and just some no, kind of no, cathartic I think what, release no, I, think, I mean some artists or does some art uh, inspire you yeah, it's touch you and help you with yours. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think cuz my my dad actually was an art librarian for 30 years. So I grew up surrounded by art books and going to a lot of museums and stuff and kind of grew up being taught by my parents that art was important and that it wasn't necessarily self-indulgent. I mean, it was really useful to express yourself, but it was also worth studying and looking at, you know, and appreciating. Um 
And and I think people make art for all different reasons, you know. Would you consider teaching an art? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I mean, I used to teach kids. I used to teach at a preschool, and there's an art to it, you know. And the important thing I think with art also is that. So when you're teaching, you're doing art as a teacher. Is there kind of something behind it? Right, you want these kids to learn something. I mean, is it's yeah, different so. kind than uh, so. doing think... expression for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So art's Some kind art... of a big thing, then, right? It covers a lot. Some art is really personal and intimate and operates on a very small local scale, and then other types of art are really public and communal and operate on a much larger scale. You know what I mean? And the things, I guess, the thing that both of those will have in common if they're successful regardless of the audience or the scale or the reason for doing it, is just to make sure that it's satisfying to you personally so you'll have more invested in it and you have more motivation to make sure that you're doing it successfully and to make sure that you're doing it on your own terms so that you can be true to whatever idea is motivating you um, and, that, and that it's not being corrupted by some kind of outside influence or something. And I think that applies to like someone who's making really personal art like Emily Dickinson locked in her house making poems that she thought no one else was ever going to read or making really public art like being a performer or being a teacher or running a company on your own terms or being an activist or something. I don't know. What do you think? I think that the, the being a teacher definitely there, there's a there's a total art to that because you, you guys sometimes you're acting in ways that you wouldn't normally act because you're doing it to get your message across or that's what's going to make things work better. So it has a performance element to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But as a goal, you want these kids to learn. Yeah. Right. You know what? I got to cut us. We're at the end of the first hour of the November 10, 2003 Watt from Pedro show. So hang tight for hour two. November 10, 2003. It's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
Spin cycle, and away we go.
is to break 
song that warns you in advance that next year everybody is going to try and sell you things that maybe you shouldn't ought to buy. And not only that, they've been planning it for years. They've been planning it for years. Here's the first. Never forget to see travelers. It only destroys as fire does. In time, truth is colder than the way things are. Chilling, isn't it? Can you conceive through that ashen shroud of hope where? Those enchanted embers make me one. Go on, look. Can you see there beyond sense? Pity. For its path broods in the shadows of dusk's very air. About it, bleeds of another origin within, perhaps. And yes, he's near here. I can feel. The thick stifling of imminence, but primal fear grows thin as light. You must understand, I've heard a lifetime of its likeness. He wanders cessation, bearing only the burden of stagnance. Thriving atop a carnage, long forgotten lives death. In those serpentine eyes, a slant with all disregard for procreation. Bedlam's touch was never as damning For he and his hand are evolution As it rots the splendor born of Genesis Hey yo, Bibbs, chill What is this, freak? What is that, tongues? Are you dyslexic? Turn around, what, what? get you out of your hat Yeah, they, alright, oh, get up right, come on What are you thinking? Wait, what are you? Are you really serious? Wait. Whoa, whoa, watch out for that. Run this game. No way. Have some sterilized nuts and socially secure barcode in a can. Look, my 
paranoid will void of a walking ham You don't seem to understand There is no one all oppressive, indivisible man With his callous mind melting, invisible hand Which when cock can forge countless mass Castrating master plans Crab dislodge your oblong head from the sand Suppression is all-inclusive and No egotistical human being birthed with beast included stands Any more or less putrid than the next So conduce chimp and realize you're surrounded merely by what you perceive As for the proverbial king of the mountains, it's a subconscious offshoot of regal fantasies Not all that uncommon to our species, even if we do dispose of our own feces That's about all we got next to an articulated thumb and forefinger Is it not? Let it linger Assuming I've captured the inner workings of your lock on self-affliction, you've had a bit too much television to drink and think you and logic just ain't in sync. Shit is pillar of fires lodged in religion, fraternity and instinct. You just lack the vision to link two and two together. The elementary's not forever. Come on, push the button, pull the lever. Open your mind and brave the weather. The lines of life are yours to sever. Or men for the only non-mate pretend captor of men. Is what we don't possess, which is price, love, and colorless. Extend self to your duress, his darkest power and crest, of which you so fondly profess. I'm here secluded pastures of an unexplored oneness.
an ingredient in a potion that Haitian voodoo priests use to make zombies. I don't know how they came up with it, but they've stumbled across a way of doing what I've tried to do in the laboratory.
space out there. Watford Pedro Show, that was the blood drain cows with digging up my dirt. And for that we had Gone to Hell by the Shrubs. And then the contract with Rockets in My Eyes, Missiles in My Tears. And of course, Brother Matt Spin Cycle, thank you very much for that Brother session. Man, thank you. Uh, I should say what we played before that. We started off the second yeah. hour with, uh, well, I don't know the title because they're not written on the thing. I couldn't remember, but that was the Nurses, old DC punk band. And then The Book and the Canal by Calexico and Rip Brigham Panic with Go, 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 This Is It. That's Don Cherry's daughter, Nina. So members of the pop group. You ever hear the pop group, David? It sounds familiar, but that's all I can say. Uh, yeah, they had a big effect on the Minutemen. They were banned from Bristol, England. Oh, huh. this is Wales. Sorry, Newport. <laughs> Kids in Bristol are sharper as a pistol when they do the Bristol Newport, stuff. Wales. Because <laughs> they're right across. It's right on the border. And... Uh, we were talking about art last time around, right? And was yeah. teaching an art. He was on. <laughs> no, but all the different ways that, like, teaching is an art, which wouldn't be like your typical art, like a painting or something like that, but a just word. how you finesse, like, uh, some people you, you can 
you got to yell at them to make them jump, and other people you got to stroke them. And if you mix it up, <laughs> you're gonna mess it up. Um, so it's all about just what you can do to get them to do what they got to do. Do your students ever teach you? Oh yeah, yeah, and that's what I kind of hoped would happen a little bit more. Um, because I figured I was going to be the old guy and they'd be the young hip kids but man a lot of kids are like just depressed and um, so there's some hip kids for sure but but there's a lot of kids that, that are just like bummed and depressed and don't really do much except you ever meet any depressed grown ups? oh yeah <laughs> come on I really? think there's plenty of reasons <laughs> you think there's ever the right season for the wrong reason? I'll pass that over to Dave. No, I was just about to, I was just thinking how happy I was that that wasn't addressed to me. I'm going to use my block. <laughs> What about cynicism? Do you think that's healthy? No. Uh, well, such a thing as cynical art. Yeah, definitely. But I think. Do you think cynical art ever makes good art? Yeah, I guess so. But I feel like if I think it depends on. I can't imagine somebody who's truly cynical, truly cynical, would even bother to make art. Because I associate true cynicism with just like an absolute, like withdrawal and a total lack of hope or optimism. And if, I mean, if I'm feeling like I don't have any hope or any optimism, I think the last thing in the world I would want to do is actually make something. I would just probably just continue to lie in bed and, and moan and groan. Have you ever read this story called The Trial? By Kafka? By Franz Kafka. I have, but it's been a long time. You think that's cynical art? Well, like, you know, after all the hell, right, of trying to find out why he's on trial, they let him go. Right. But not really. Right? The last line, you know, they stab him and he died in the dirt like a dog. What's the connection to cynicism? There's not much hope there. Oh. He doesn't even find out why he dies. You never find out. So you're talking... Okay, I thought you were asking me if there's cynical art, like if there's art that comes out of cynicism. or cynical art. No, but uh, I read reviews of things, and it seems generally, if the critic considers it cynical, it's not going to get a good review. Oh, I see what you mean. So for them, cynicism is necessarily bad. But I don't... Mm, Let me tell you something about when I was younger. I got a Blue Oyster Cult album called Tyranny Mutation, and there was a, they had reviews of it on the, a sticker. It's part of the record company way of promoting it. And it said, this is black humor. So I, something to that effect. And I was a boy. So I asked my mother, what is black humor? 
And she goes, well, read Joseph Heller's Catch-22. So I read it. And uh, it seemed ironic. Uh, maybe a little cynical of how, we're, uh, how human beings run wars. But in a way, I thought it was healthy. Yeah. Because like in this day and age right now it seems war is being romanticized the military and all this for somebody who grew up in Navy housing and stuff <laughs> it's hard to swap sometimes but maybe on TV <laughs> it's easy to romanticize war and stuff and so I thought I mean I understand the era Catch-22 came out of even though it was written about another war, kind of applied to the, that war. And we had this song called The Punchline that I wrote. God, it was hard to place there. Again, it was one D. Boone sang over a bass line. We didn't even play. But it was, you know, it wasn't showing a general George Custer in too yeah. positive a light. But the way I wrote it, really, I was trying to attack him as much as trying to humanize him. By saying uh, he died with shit in his pants, wasn't trying to say he was a coward or anything, but probably anybody. <laughs> One time Raymond made this drawing for me and he said uh, for a something to effect of for an egalitarian society and it had a bunch of headstones and that inspired D Boone I told D Boone that we should call this record three way tie for last because that's when we're all really equal when we're dead so D Boone made this painting of our heads on the wall <laughs> which was interesting. I was, uh, what was I? Anti-war sympathizer. You got you, Brother Matt has the actual paint. Oh, really? Yeah. I got Project Mersh. Oh, you have Mersh. Yeah. Who has the paint? I don't know who got that one. I think George, George Hurley's head said, dude, local. Yeah. But Brett. Yeah, no telling. Yeah, some guy... It was a horrible thing when people who died, a lot of his works got preliminary distribution oh, in the state. <laughs> right. And, uh, God, I thought you had one of those paintings. Yeah, I got, I got the Project Mersh one. Oh, Project Mersh. Where's it at? Yeah. Yeah, I want to see that. Wow. Yeah, the actual painting. Yeah, man, that's badass. Yeah. So, it, it's... What I'm trying to kind of get at is like one man's cynicism might be another man's skepticism. Yeah, right, exactly. I, it makes me it makes me upset when people say my comic is cynical, but I don't mind when they say it's it's skeptical. I say I, my standard reply is that the comic's not anti-American, it's just pro-skepticism. And that I'm not the cynical person, the cynical person is Dick Cheney. Oh, yeah. I try to think of myself as optimistic, or else I wouldn't have bothered making it in the first place. 
This is it. Whoa. Now this. Let this be cool. Put on stage. Is awesome. Not there. Yeah. Missing man. The missing man. See this guitar here, David. This is the one that D Boom did all his overdubs on Double Nickel. Really? On the dime. Now we're in my fantasy world. Excellent. Wow. Yeah, I think in these days it's kind of hard not to be cynical. You know, because so much stuff just seems cheesy or bunk or lame. I know, but we got to... <laughs> Especially now that it's the end of the second hour of the November 11, 2003 Live from Show. Hang tight for hour three. November 10th, 2003. It's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro Show. Here's part 33 of the fourth tower of Inverness. I say, what was all that commotion, old boy? I just clubbed someone on the head. Anyone I know? The Madonna Vampira. Really now? I'm afraid so. Oh, well. You may as well let her sleep. Good night. But... As night melts into morning, we find the two adventurers up early, eating breakfast and discussing their plans. More tea? Oh, no. Say, we don't have any coffee, do we? Coffee? You American chappies always have to have your cup of coffee. No, we have no coffee. Now, uh, according to the map, we're about here. In this raw mountain range. The land of the stone-faced gods. Right you are. Now, beyond these mountains is our destination. Why is it blank? Mm, it hasn't been charted. The Earth has been quite thoroughly explored and charted. But few have ever begun to map these regions of inner space. Oh, I see. Well, what does this mark here signify? At this point, we'll attempt to cross. Hmm, that's strange. By Jove, this mark is a bit sticky, isn't it? I believe it... Marmalade. Peach, orange, marmalade. It must have dropped from your crumpet there. Right. Well, that looks like as good a place as any to begin. Shall we proceed? What about the Madonna Vampira? Uh, she's gone, isn't she? What? Well, she is gone. Yes, of course. But where? Come now, step lively. We have to find a passage through these mountains before the sundown. The two set off, making their way slowly up the side of the mountain. It seems impossible to Jack that they can ever hope to scale these sheer, endless walls of rock. When suddenly, from ahead... I say, look what we have here. What? Oh, a trail. It appears so. I suspect it'll take us right to the marmalade marker. What do you expect to find there? Who knows? Come on, lively now. They continue along the narrow trail. After several hours. Oh, we aren't anywhere near the top. So we aren't. And the sun's beginning to set. So it is. I thought... What? Where are you pointing? Over there? My God, what is that thing? The bright red rays of the setting sun strikes the cold gray side of the mountain range, and suddenly, there before them is a gigantic face. So breathtaking, so awesome is this face, that minutes pass before either adventurer can even begin to think again. Finally, one speaks. It's a bully, all right. 
The land of the stone-faced gods. This is the place. It is said these mountains have as many such faces carved into their sides. Like Mount Rushmore. Well, shall we continue? It, it seems almost alive. You must hurry. The sun will set soon. The two move on until they are standing next to the ear of this giant stone god. I hope there was an entrance here. Apparently not. Wait, wait, that music. It's coming from somewhere here. Right you are. Let's try the lips. Easy, easy, they look slippery. Mm, they appear chapped by the weather. A foothold is possible. Who could have carved such a monstrous face? Shh! Listen! Hear that? The music is coming out of the face. True, but... I say, if it's not too unpleasant a thought, could you climb up there and take a peek inside that nostril? Well, all right. Help me up onto the mustache. Right dope. There. Aha! You found the source? No. The music is definitely not coming from inside the nose. Now, somewhere, somewhere, the... Wait, our feet. I say, it's coming from the lips we're standing on. There's a, there's a space here between the lips. Right. Could you take a peek inside and see if you can see anything? Uh, my head and shoulders fit in easily. I, I believe it's a tunnel that... Hey! Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm being sucked in! Help! Quick, drag the outer rim of the lips! It's sucking me and I can't hold! Right, oh! There, I've got your feet! Whoop! By Jove, it's pulling me in too! I say! Charles, are you all right? Quite. Quite. I think we were sucked right through the mountain. Of course. It, it, it was a tunnel. Yes. Oh, the hidden entrance of the valley. Quite clever. Well, where do we go from here? Down the mountain and into the valley, I suppose. It's getting a little dark, though, wouldn't you say? No problem. No problem at all. The two adventurers follow the narrow trail that winds down the mountainside. You know, it's odd. As the valley becomes darker, it becomes transparent almost. The strangest light coming from down there. Speaking of strange lights, I believe ahead there stands a flame of some sort in your life. Hmm? Why, it's the Madonna Vampira. Why, Mr. Flanders, I'm surprised that you recognized me. This time. Well, seeing is believing. Mm, my, 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 what a wonderful cliché. How did you get here? What's a bad girl like me doing in a holy place like this? No, that's not what I mean. Then precisely what did you mean when you raised your oar and brought it down ever so gently upon my... I say, old chap and chapess, you can continue this later. Right now we've I got... thought you were dead. Well, you might have killed me. I don't mean last night, I mean before, when we were in the... Come, uh... come! You two can blather while we're walking. Come on, step like this. What did you think I was? A demon come to haunt you? Who knows what the hell's around here? I swear to God. I thought you were dead back there in the land of the Lotus Jukebox. 
Your body was laid out, cold, stiff. I mean, what were you doing there in the first place? And then I arrived back at Inverness and you were gone. So I thought you must have been dead. Well, say something. Oh, I hate you. What? Shh. I believe you need an interpreter. What the good Mademoiselle Vampira said was, she comes from the land of the Lotus Jukebox, and that her body laid in rest while she visited Inverness. When she knew you would visit the Lotus Land, she left Inverness for the last time and returned to re-inhabit her Lotus body. But, but why? However, her timing was slightly off, and you returned from the Lotus Land while she was right in the midst of the voyage back to her kingdom. No kidding. Hmm. <laughs> you think that's funny? <laughs> no. Inverness has more crackpots and blunders than anyone... Well, we'll see how funny no, that... No, 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 Rock throwing is strictly not allowed. <sighs> hey, wait a minute, that rock. Look, it's glowing like phosphorus. Hold it still a moment, my dear. It isn't the rock. It's the dirt uh... upon the rock. It emits a shimmering white glow. Very odd. Are you through examining this specimen? Hmm. Quite. Good. Take this, Jack Flanders! Yes! And this! Huh? What? Oh. The whole valley. It's glowing. And listen. I say. And he's lovely. And look. Over there. To the east. What is that? And there, off in the distance, is a breathtaking sight. A tall, far-out, fantastic palace. No, it's... it's a temple. Immersed within that strange light, and somehow almost transparent and shimmering, as though floating upon a rippling pool of liquid silver. There it is. I say that is a pleasant sight. I find it hard to keep in focus. The light, of course. <laughs> come. The trio continues on. Eventually they come upon a path. It broadens into a road. And soon they stand at the entrance to the temple. Wow. These immense pillars. These walls. They vibrate with a frequency that, at moments, it's almost transparent. Hmm. Quite so. A remarkable piece of architecture. You know, I believe it's a, it's a living and breathing thought form. Well, gentlemen, are we going to enter? Oh, of course. Come on. Wow. It's breathtaking. Come on, we're nearing the source of the sound. The Great Hall is most likely this way. Jack, will you return to my native Lotus Land and stay with me? Huh? Gosh, I, I don't know. Well, I, I guess so. Oh, good. It must be an incredible jukebox to put out a sound like that. Ah. There. Look! Over there! The jukebox! That's it! Good evil, my
jukebox I've ever seen. It's like pure light. Yet it, it, it's not glaring, but soothing. If I'm not mistaken, this jukebox has been carved out of one immense solid piece of clear jade. Most astounding. A rare model. I don't understand the names of these selections. What is it? All the great hits of the universe? Hmm. It appears not to be names, but symbols that designate the vibrational rate of the selection. Ingenious. So you can tell in advance how the piece will affect you. Yes, of course. There's the place to insert coins. Yeah. Well, I happen to have a couple of bags of nickels on me. But how do you know what to select? Well, who knows? Hmm. Quite, quite. Nothing. For while they stood, listening to nothing, listening to nothing, something was happening. A thousand arms and hands. Even Mr. Wurlitzer's wildest fantasies could not equal this instrument. In the palm of each hand, there suddenly sprang from the body of this incredible jukebox an eye appeared. a thousand arms and hands and looked at him, bursting out like an aura of dazzling rays. Jack's, Jack's breath, breath and heart seemed, seemed to stop. In the, In the palm of each hand, hand an, an eye, eye appeared. appeared and looked at him. His head burst into innumerable heads. The whole jukebox became an all-penetrating eye of wisdom, looking down, looking down the upon the suffering in this world of ours, and the tears. And Jack became, Jack filled, became filled with such, with such profound compassion, compassion that in a sudden, in a sudden overwhelming, overwhelming desire to help desire beings to help toward, beings liberation, toward liberation, his head burst into innumerable heads, and the arms of the jukebox, and the tears streamed down from his eyes and the hands opened and closed and the arms of the jukebox moved slowly and the eye and, and the, the hands opened hand. and closed and the, and the eye and the palm of each hand watched him watched him watched him 
and Jack understood. After a long while, Jack, Lord Jowls, and the Madame Vampira turn as though one and walk from the room and return outside the temple. They stop, touch each other, look into each other's eyes for a long time, and even though they know that no words are necessary, still they speak. Before I had wished that you, Jack, would return with me to my lotus land, now I, I understand. Goodbye. And she turns and walks away. So it did exist, eh? The Bodhisattva jukebox. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> of course. And he slowly walks away into the night. To recognize oneself in others. And he too walks away, knowing he'll build a new sailing craft, and that near the great stone face he'll find the sail with the mandala, and then catching the wind he'll return alone to the fourth tower of Inverness.
Contort yourself. Contort yourself. 
stick together Why not just fall apart Why don't you try being stupid Instead of smart Once you take out all the garbage That's in your brain Forget about your future
From Pedro Show, Marsha Ball with Soul on Fire. For that, Contort Yourself by James White and the Blacks. He played uh, yesterday. It was pretty intense. I got to talk to him a little bit. I told him about a show I saw. He did maybe 23 years ago, and he was fighting with the audience. Came out there was throwing chingasos, and uh, he didn't remember it. <laughs> He's great though. His band was great. He's playing an overcoat. Uh, before that was part three, fourth tower Inverness. We're almost at the end there. One away, um, kind of weird because uh, it's kind of a little. Coda thing recap for part 34, which is the final part. And then we'll start a new one. I think uh, we'll do the adventures of Jack Flanders, which 
which is a very trippy one. Um, let's see. You want to get by the mic, Brother Matt? <laughs> Hold We're on back. there, Radio Land. We're back, making the move, musical chairs. There we are. And here's Dave. Yeah, all right. You Sorry are, about that. You're on Hello. the bone phone. Yeah. Taking yeah. care of biz. Okay. We're all caught up. Um, so what are your travels like on your book tour? You, you traveling solo? Yeah, I go by myself, and um, this tour has just been a couple dates on the West Coast. I went to San Francisco, and then Seattle, Portland, and now L.A., and then I'll fly off to Cal- to Carolina tomorrow tomorrow night after my reading in L.A. But I just go by myself, and I tell the stores to make sure that when I show up, they have an overhead transparency projector, like I used to use in schools when I was growing up. And I have all the comics on little transparency sheets, and I just read some of the comics and talk, talk a little bit about my influences and stuff, and uh, just show read some of the comics and... and basically goof off like a jackass and then answer questions from the audience and then um, sign books. It's basically it. Cool. Pretty straightforward, I guess. You don't challenge anyone to some fighting technique? (laughs) No. I am a lover, not a fighter. So I never actually want to fight anybody. But if I was a... What about curse Adam? I guess, yeah. I would get into a cussing contest if someone provoked me. See what they got in terms of four-letter words. See if they got any I don't know, vice versa. Or the combinations. That's the interesting <laughs> part <laughs> I found. So you have to have a good sense of rhythm, I think. Yeah. Right. And like a f- certain kind of physicality. Like you're almost forcing it. Yeah, yeah. Some guys are buttery. Mm. And they just <laughs> let it flow. Yeah, right, right. I grew up in Navy housing, so it was more of the like forced kind of way of doing it. Yeah. Also, you had to link them together. It wasn't good enough just to have one or two. You had to have like seven or eight of them. Oh, yeah. Beads on a string. And, uh, yeah, links in a chain. Also, it's fun. Uh, noun in them and verb in them. Mm. Fuck you, you fuck. You know, uh, this kind of thing. Yeah. Fuck you, you fucking fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's what's great about it. Yeah. Most fuckedly. Right. <laughs> I mean, you just can do the whole. Adverb. Yeah, the whole verbiage thing. <laughs> That's the magic of cussing. You know, you know what I mean, yeah. right? You can always <laughs> use that one at the end. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you fuck. You fuck. <laughs> well, plans for the next one. It's your filing technique. Next spring will be my new filing technique is unstoppable. I'm trying to finish it up right now, and uh, then there'll probably be another tour to promote that. And I any kind of ideas? What hints at what it might be? Is it like cubicle politics? Yeah, cubicle. It's basically kind of like the same themes of fighting technique, except now instead of arguing about who who's the toughest fighter, they just talk about who has the most effective filing system. And a character shows up named Dr. Niles Vanderbiles, who's kind of a business consultant. He kind of works like some kind of um, black magic kind of stuff, like the old scratch characters from folk tales, and messes up things a little. 
uh, and then everything will reach kind of a crisis when all the computers will start having a bunch of syntax errors. Um, it has kind of like some uh, supernatural elements to it, I guess, but it's based in office politics and filing protocols and who has the best you know, dividend index sequence function report for the, just stuff like that. What about that kind of life? Uh, I mean, people leave it, leave it at the office, right? And they become their real selves when they go home. Mm, if they're lucky, yes. Okay, because I've been told that I never get to leave my job. Like, oh, you're I always see what Mike you mean. Watt. Right, right. You know? Remember I told you Lisa was telling me, like, uh, you know, I get done with my job, I go home, I'm not the customs inspector anymore, but you, you're always Mike Watt. So you think there's, I know, <coughs> part of the dream they sell people, or they're selling to people as they're selling things along with it, is like, you can be the real you, right? You're going to go on this vacation. Right. Finally, be you and leave the that the, the fake world, right? Right. But maybe there's an advantage. Like if you could confine all your conflict to a couple hours, and yeah, definitely. Have to have to be in the permanent turmoil, yeah, of continuous hell. Is that what it's like to be Mike Watt? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you didn't permanent have two worlds, continuous yeah, hell. I think a lot of people got their masks that they wear, you know, like uh Yeah, I got to tell you sometimes it feels like I'm uh, I am kind of always on. Yeah. You know, cuz maybe that's why you spend so much time by some, yourself. Yeah, well that's why I tell people when they ask me why I do that because it's like I'm always on. I'm right. always uh, the gig is always on. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you never get time off. If you're driving down the street, pick your nose, somebody sees you doing whatever, you know. You, you, don't, you don't ever get a break from just, like, being a normal, like, mix in, vanish in the crowd. Yeah, so things that are ideal. Obviously, it's the whole idea of not having to live that life so you can idealize that life. And right. So I'm just imagining myself now as a cubicle warrior and maybe how nice it would be a little bit or something. You'll have plenty of time to do that. I think, uh, <laughs> I think, you know, for all it's worth, we, uh, you know, we are on. We do have parts, and maybe, you know, this whole idea of work alienating you. You were talking about why you like your job now. I like it because... I kind of know what you're talking about, how now that I don't have a real strong distinction between work and home life. Whereas when I used to temp, usually the jobs were really soul-crushing and mind-numbingly dull. But the good thing was, when I got home, I had so much I had to get out of my system that I would be really productive from like 6 p.m. till I went to bed. Whereas now it's my job, I don't have that... I, I feel like I'm not making the comics and the music to react against my crummy professional life um, so sometimes I worry that maybe they're not, there's not as much energy in them or something but the thing that I do like is when I used to work for jobs and other people I hated Sunday nights 
because I was looking at a whole other week of going to work every day of something I didn't really care about. And now that I work for myself, I kind of like Sunday nights because I get excited about the week coming week I can kind of just work on whatever project I want to. And my only real obligation is to my editors and to make sure that I keep reading the newspaper so I can make political comics, which in and of itself is really depressing and a total pain in the butt. But it could be a lot worse, you know. Um, oh yeah. So, I feel like it's I feel like it's going pretty well right now. It's it's been kind of hard for me to be self-employed and have to make sure that since I'm working out of the home, I don't spend all day doing the dishes and cleaning the carpet instead of trying to make money with my comics. It's been a little bit of an adjustment period to go from having a really structured life to having no structure. Brother Matt gave me this movie. In fact, my friend made it. It was his first movie, um, being John Malkovich. And the violent thing made me think of that movie where people want to be someone else. Oh, yeah, right, right. Right? The vessel. They need a vessel <laughs> to run out for 15 minutes. Right. And, uh, you know, this life by proxy thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, people... I'll tell you, Georgie wrote some intense songs when he had this job where he had to go at 5.30 in the morning and grind uh, needle valves mill spec you know uh -huh. for jet motors and his songs were so abstract and bizarre stuff like uh, Black Sheep and uh, Joy trippy songs Ruins Monuments I don't know if you know these songs but they yeah. were really trippy because he couldn't devote his whole mind to them but there's obviously stuff was seething up oh yeah I see what you mean and uh like I was telling you in the boat, you know, I wrote this song called Life is Rehearsal, and it really ain't. This is, we're on. Yeah. We are on. So, we're trying to make an art out of it. I teach it. Uh, being friends. Is there an art to being a good friend? Or what is it? Like, take it, or, take me or leave me. Anyway, I am. So like that? Temperamental artist. Yeah, so everybody's a rock star. <laughs> right, <in a> way. <laughs> right. It, just all the roles in all the trips we go through. I think it's good we have people that can make fun of those things. Like I was saying about the black humor thing. You know, sometimes yeah, things that aren't funny are funny. They have to be so you don't get too dragged down in it. Yeah, right. It's like you said about the farmer having more manure. <laughs> That's the way nature works. Nature seems to work in so many ways, opposite to a lot of human thinking. Like this stuff with ethnic cleansing. Nature, very angry at that kind of thing, right? You inbreed nature and it comes out shitty every time. Yeah, right. But there's this thing with human thinking, pure breed, blue blood, pedigree. Yeah, I have one job, I have one life, one job, one thing, one mission, and it's not about that really, right? It's schizophrenia is part of the kind of the deal. I mean, it's a struggle. Yeah, getting the flavors. But who who is born peaceful? Right? They have to yank you out. Well, I was actually cut up. My mom said I was cut out of C-section. It was a Navy hospital, and they used forceps, these tongs. Like, I cut my head bald. I have marks on my head. With 
Where they extracted you. <laughs> and uh, in the movies, you always die in your sleep really soft. Probably not most of the time. There seems to be a lot of struggle. And some people use this to justify war. Uh, it's, it's the way you can really separate the phonies from the realies, the reality. Right. But man, isn't that pretty desperate? Pretty pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> pretty arrogant. I mean, at least if the dude's too much of a rock star, you walk out of the gig. They don't bomb your house. Uh. <laughs> or they put landmines in, in the yard so your grandchildren blow their legs off. Right. Even after the war's over and you're making, you yeah. know, they're making money now. Uh, you know, selling some uh, reality show danger trip, dodge the landmines. <laughs> you know, some non-contestant wanders onto the field, blows the thing. This is where it's really strange. Like those futurists making the manifestos blast first. You know, were they really serious? Did they really want to blast first? Mm -hmm. Before you even talk to the guy, right? You just start shooting. I understand they were in a passive world. But just a few years later, they had World War One. Most of those guys got killed and they volunteered for the war. Yeah. Intense individuals. Yeah, it's trippy. I'm going to play uh, something from um, somebody from Pedro, Carla Bozlich. Cool. Yeah, she was cool out there yesterday. With Nels Klein. Yeah. What from Pedro show? I was you. 
She's a pleaser, not a skeezer. Meet her. She's black, too. Attached to suck. Wanna be a lot like Lance, loud but louder. Make you prouder. Gonna make you so proud someday you'll rue the day. Gonna make you proud of me, your prodigy. Sincerely, Ray.
violin took the bow for to do the hoodoo hoedown. In the red violin took the bow for to do the hoedoo hoedown. The farmer jumped into a circle and flung his chalk right down. Does you know the devil's show show and he broke off his horns and fiddled him down the road through the fog. And the farmer's floppy boot stormed down. Red tail squirming, a hot leg kicking, a fire leaped and licked. The red tail squirming, and a hot leg kicking, a fire leaped and licked. And when the boot came up, the fire went out. And hell was just an ice cube left off in the ground. The bell caught down, what a do the hoodoo ho down. And the boat caught down, what a hoodoo, a hoodoo, the devil down. And the boat caught down, what a do the hoodoo, the devil down. Through the fog, huddled in the hollows, staring at the crossroads, was that bone up, bandaged, broken bone that fell into the wrong circle. He had a soul red tail that once went red, now was pale. He fooled five thumbs, he was summoned up from hell, booted down the spell. By a square dancing farmer, by a square dancing farmer, well. That old bum was sticking out his thumb when a farmer drew up and said, Listen, son. And the horse can pat his hooves. If you fall into my circle again, I'll tan your red hide and dance you on your tail and pitch you from now to now. Pitch you from now to now. Not late kicking a fire leap to lit. And I hotly kicked, and I fire leaped and licked, and I hotly kicked, and I fire just leaped and licked, and I hotly kicked, and I fire leaped and licked, and I hotly kicked, and I fire leaped and licked, and I hotly kicked, and I fire leaped and licked. Hotly kicked, and I fire leaped and licked. What from Pedro show that was the real bat chain puller sessions. Floppy boot stomp, Captain Beefheart. Before that, twinkle twang, twinkle twang. If I grew up, that's Raymond Pettibone's band. Latest project musical. Turn David on that. The first time he got to hear. Yeah, Pettibone. that was nice. And then we started with Carla Boslich. Remember me, David. I want to thank you so much. Thank you for having aboard. me. Yeah, much respect. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's great. Thanks for coming by, Kristen. Brother Matt, thank you much for your essential aid and support especially in our twin moment of crisis <laughs> with the machinery that's the end of uh, another installment of the Watt for Pedro show the November 10th 2003 edition we're going to get a few shows yeah, this month we're back I think uh, 
Yeah, well, for sure next week we'll finish up the fourth tower and then start with Adventures of Jack Flanders. Good luck with your tour. Thank you very much. Good luck with your next start. Thank you. Thank you for everything you've done. And Thank you for everything you've nice done. Nice things you've said. Definitely. Truly. And um, it's neat. Thanks for the sandwich. <laughs> oh, and the little Pedro thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, All right. Message. Yeah. Everybody, keep your powder dry. <laughs> <laughs>